The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm excited to welcome Kristen Luck, who is the founder and managing partner of Scalehouse Consulting. Welcome, Kristen. Hi, thanks for having me again. Cool. I'm so glad you could make it. I should also say you and I are advisors at Open Arms Securities as well on the investment banking side. We are. I'm really happy that I managed to suck you into taking your exams <laughs> at the same time as me because I don't think I would have survived them without you. <laughs> I feel the same way. That extra encouragement, pressure, Kristen passed her test. I'm going to pass my next test. Yeah, it helped a lot. Right. Sure did. <laughs> I can't let you down, Seema. I've got to pass the test. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, just aside, I remember the three tests, you took them first for the first two, and then I took the third one first, right? Right. That's correct. Yeah. So we got both sides of it in terms of, yeah, who passed when. We did. Man, 2020 was a hell of a year, right? Crazy. Sure was. Challenging to say the least for the insights industry overall. Yeah. And do you think we're in recovery mode now? Or like, what's your take on where the industry is as it relates to the impact of COVID? Right. Yeah, for sure we are. You know, I think the abrupt impact of the pandemic on the overall economy sort of brought the industry to what I would consider near standstill for a period of time last spring. That said, you know, we remain a nearly $80 billion industry. I was just speaking just a few minutes ago, actually, on an SMR UK event. And although SMR originally predicted up to a 30% downturn in research revenues, we ended up with a stronger third and fourth quarter than predicted, particularly among tech and digital businesses, which have generated current indicators of an overall 6% decline in 2020. But also the industry is likely not returning to our 2019 turnover levels again until 2022. So we've got a few years to go to to get back to where we were. Let's talk about that digital side of the industry. I mean, I think there's so much controversy, maybe controversy is a strong word, but in terms of its accuracy, its approach, its kind of its basis in terms of true research methodology. Yeah. I mean, I think the interesting thing about this pandemic is that it's kind of accelerating a revolution in the research space. So I think there were a lot of naysayers about a lot of digital technologies, particularly on the qualitative side of the business, you know, coming into 2020. And then, you know, when the pandemic hit, it really started kind of fueling that tech revolution. And I think it actually served as an accelerator to the really dynamic shifts we were already seeing, you know, the increasing divide between digital or technology focused segments and the established market research segments. If you look actually at the performance of the tech and digitally enabled segments, that actually masks the negative impact of the pandemic on the established part of the industry. So the established part kind of experienced a 15% downturn last year in contrast to the 9% growth that is kind of expected across the digital and tech enabled segments. 
Yeah, and that shift, has, I know you and I spoke on a panel a year and a half ago, and we were talking about that trend happening where the traditional side of the business was declining, but these new digital platforms were growing. So I think COVID just accelerated that growth rate and that transition. For sure. And also, you know, and you and I can you probably talk all day about this, but I also think it's recognized within the investment community. Yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was just reading some data a few days ago from PitchBook and, you know, in the last six months of 2020, investors put more than 1 trillion euros to work in Europe's M&A market alone during 2020. And that's for the fifth year running. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. The technology is definitely bringing in new players, uh, new capital, and honestly, new excitement to the industry. For sure. And I know qualitative, definitely in-person research took a hit. Do you think that we've now officially shifted the qual model? Are we ever going back to the way things used to be? I don't think face-to-face qualitative is dead. I do think that in many cases that, hey, you can conduct qualitative research in a digital format and still produce quality results. So I think a lot of the naysayers around digital qual, you know, have quieted a bit. Do I think there's still value in face-to-face contact with respondents? Absolutely. And I don't think that that part of the business is going away anytime soon, but I do think that we are going to see a substantial and permanent migration to more digital techniques. Yeah. And I think it'll be integrated, right? I think there'll be a combination of methodologies that will integrate both types of in-person versus digital. Absolutely. Hey, Kristen, I wanted to ask you, remember a couple of years ago, blockchain was so hot? (laughs) (laughs) Where are we with blockchain? <laughs> what happened to blockchain? I know. It's funny. At IEX a few years ago, I felt like there was kind of a battle to the death between like three or four. Yes. It was like a blockchain company. It was crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because most of the companies that were kind of starting in that space have pivoted. And, you know, and a great example of that is Measure Protocol. I mean, full disclosure, they're one of my advisory clients. So I obviously know quite a bit of their business, but, you know, although they're still using blockchain as a basis, you know, the foundation for incenting respondents fairly and dealing with a lot of, you know, data and privacy issues that, you know, remain unaddressed in the general sampling community, you know, they've pivoted their business model pretty significantly. And they've, you know, launched their retro product, which is more of a behavioral data and tracking product. So I think, you know, blockchain as a technology, there's still value in the underlying platform. But I think that a lot of those businesses that were kind of focused on being blockchain only companies are realizing that they need to have, you know, products that deliver value other than just that blockchain platform. Yeah, I completely agree. I've actually seen some results of proof of concepts using blockchain exactly to what you're talking about. And that, you know, it's a means to the end, but it's not the end product, right? It can enhance a a portfolio of products and solutions. For sure. Okay, so not that you don't have enough work going on and activities. (laughs) (laughs) You're very involved in SMR. Tell our listeners just a little bit more about what SMR is, just in case they don't know what it is. Sure. Yeah. I've been an SMR member for nearly 11 years and I've been on the board, which is called SMR Council for the last six years. The last two as vice president. SMR is a little different than some of the local or regional associations that you might be familiar with in that, you know, they're a truly global association. So they're looking at everything from privacy, data ethics, sound research methods, you know, around the globe. So it's not just a a local perspective, but it's a global one. And I think part of the reason that I've been so involved with SMR for so very long is because having that global perspective has been absolutely invaluable 
to my career and to the businesses that I've developed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can truly attest to SMR's diversity because I remember being in Scotland a couple of years ago and it was amazing to see these people from all over the world participate in our industry and hear and learn different perspectives and approaches that companies are using as it relates to research. It was so eye-opening. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I feel like in the U.S. in particular, we have a sort of a history of being rather insular. And I think when you go to like an SMR Congress event, you see how research is being conducted in South Sudan. Mm-hmm. It's a real eye-opener. I think there's a lot of value in the creativity that goes into research in some regions. And I think it gives us a wider and broader look at opportunities for conducting research in really new and different ways. How is SMR different from like lots of other industry associations? Obviously, there's the global footprint that is huge, makes a huge difference. But what other factors or attributes make SMR different? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that, you know, the global look overall, if you look at great associations like Insights Association, which is, you know, a U.S.-based association for anyone around the world doing research in the U.S., but it has a U.S. focus. Likewise, the MRS in the U.K., amazing, amazing association, UK focused, you know, SMR's challenges, you know, they need to have a real global focus. So not only are they focused on, you know, keeping track of lobbying for privacy and data ethics in the EU, but all around the world. And as you can imagine, that's a pretty major undertaking these days. (laughs) Yeah, it's daunting. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit ParadigmSample.com today. And what's the structure? Is there like council members from each geography? Like how does it smart govern itself? Yeah. So the count, you know, the council is made up of elected individuals. So, and that's one of the things that's really important to remember as an SMR member is how important it is to vote for candidates that are in your region. What's happened traditionally, you know, like I said, I've been on the board for the last six years is that We've been underrepresented for sure in the Americas, and that includes North and South America, underrepresented in Africa and underrepresented in Asia. And I think part of that is due to the fact that there's this ongoing perception that because SMR originally was launched as a European research association, that it's primarily an association for Europeans, which couldn't be further from the fact. You know, the U.S. makes up the second largest membership base in SMR. And yet, you know, we've got had less than 10% representation on the board, you know, in the last, at least since I've been a member with literally no representation and from Africa and very little from Asia Pacific. So, and it, you know, we've got a really diverse slate of candidates for this year, you know, it's an election year for SMR. I'm running for president, you know, having been on council now for six years. And I think the slate of candidates that we have are by far the most diverse that I've ever seen come up in an election, which is awesome. That's great. And so what motivated you to decide to run for president? Yeah, I get this question a lot because like you said, you know, I'm involved in a fair amount of activities, you know, including women in research, which is, you know, my passion project. Yes. I think there's a saying that if you want something done, ask someone busy. You know, I was inspired to to run not only because I've been on council for a number of years, but I, you know, I have over a decade of experience building and scaling businesses and nonprofits like SMR. 
I launched Women in Research in 2007, which now serves over 11,000 researchers globally. I've also served on the board of the SMR Foundation for the past six years, which is, you know, the foundation that SMR started to help researchers in need. And as a board member, we've transformed it from an entity that was largely reliant on SMR funds to a totally self-sustaining foundation now. I also, you know, I mean, like yourself, I'm a serial entrepreneur. You know, I've got a really keen understanding of how to navigate rough waters during turbulent times. My businesses survived the dot-com crash of 2001, a major economic recession in 2007, and now I'm pandemic. I feel like if there's one thing I excel at, it's pulling my businesses and clients through tough times. And I'm committed to doing the same thing for our industry and for SMR. That's fantastic. And Kristen, what are your kind of key pillars for your candidacy? You know, we've done a lot of work in the last couple of years, some of which was sidelined by the pandemic. But, you know, I feel really passionate about some of three key pillars. You know, one is expanding on, on Council and Joaquin Brecha's current platform of building bridges so that we're really truly a global association that serves our members on any and every continent. You know, one of the questions that I've been getting is, well, you know, how is an American from the West Coast of the U.S., you know, going to run a global association? And the truth of the matter is, We absolutely have to be able to support candidates from around the world. We should be able to support a president that's based in New Zealand or in Australia if we're truly a global association. And that means also serving content in different languages and on different time zones, something that we've, you know, attempted to do in the past, but which we need to do more of. So that's kind of my first pillar. The second, and I'm sure you're acutely aware of this, we need to bring younger researchers into the industry and into SMR. And it's important that we remain relevant to new generations that are really driving the evolution of the industry. And then thirdly, you know, opening our arms to data scientists as well as second and third party data providers so that the importance of data quality and ethics isn't lost as our industry evolves. And you and I know this, you know, from working on, you know, the tech side of the business, which is many traditional researchers, you know, they want to hold, you know, some of these data providers at arm's length. And my perspective on it is, hey, let's bring them into the fold so that we can ensure that, you know, Again, we're promoting sound methods that data ethics aren't lost and that people understand the, you know, the importance of respondent data and privacy. Completely agree with you. To me, it's a lost opportunity if people keep put their heads down and say that's not traditional research. It's there's a huge opportunity in front of us to embrace it and to be stewards of data and to help clients and organizations navigate the change. You're singing my song, Kristen. As usual. <laughs> Wait, so let's talk about, I often wonder this, what do you think fundamentally the issue is? I don't want to say issue, but the challenges to bring young people into the fold. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think that we've been portrayed historically as the sexiest, you know, line, line of business. You know, I think, you know, when younger folks look at traditional research and they, you know, they see these very traditional surveys that mimic, you know, a lot of the research that was being conducted in the 70s or even in the early days of my career, you know, which were in the mid 90s. You know, research as a whole, in terms of at least how we design and deliver surveys, has not changed that much. And so I think, you know, the one thing that the text and digital enabled solutions bring in is something that's really appealing and interesting to the younger generation and is probably more aligned with, you know, sort of how they see their career evolving or the types of businesses that we want to be involved in. And that's also a challenge, I think, to a lot of the more traditional full service firms. And I think those firms have traditionally, you know, not struggled to keep up with the tech side of the business, but just struggled to evolve at the same pace. I mean, it's very tough to turn and innovate in a very large 
research firm, having worked in several of them myself, it's a bigger shift to turn. So, but I do see, you know, there's great firms like Kantar, for instance, you know, who I think I always kind of use them as an example of a great strategy for early adoption of tech and new methods, which is, hey, maybe we're not going to buy and integrate these companies, but maybe we're going to make investments in them and integrate them into our day-to-day workflows, which I think is for a lot of big firms is a better approach than just a flat-out acquisition and then, you know, kind of losing that tech company culture within the innovation. Yeah. 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 I think also because the business of research is not as much pulling, you know, designing and executing and gathering insights, because a lot of that has been, you know, helped by technology, the focus is now really driving more insights and drawing more conclusions and providing, getting more into the data and the analytics, which I think is also another lever that brings younger people into the industry because it's not about, you know, writing a questionnaire and watching the field management as much as it used to be. For sure. It's interesting too, like if you look in the last couple of years, like what the hottest and, you know, fastest growing verticals are and the highest paying jobs, they're data science jobs. And this is why it's so important, particularly for associations like SMR, to be bringing these folks into the fold. You know, I think the data science part of the business is super important. And it's also being, you know, echoed throughout private equity and venture capital investments. You know, if you look at firms like Quantalope, which is kind of an early stage analytics firm, you know, they raised $28 million last July in the height of the pandemic. Yeah, it's a quite amazing. Yeah. People see the value of it. They do. And I, you know, I also think that tech side of the business is, you know, I think people in the early stages of their career are certainly a lot more financially savvy. And there's a much bigger focus on startups and IPOs, you know, that people are looking at than there ever was in the early days of my career. I mean, when I started my first business in 1998, I guess it was. Okay. I didn't even know any other founders. Right. You know, like I never even heard of an IPO research company going public. And now, you know, we just had Qualtrics IPO, you know, at a $27.3 billion valuation and since up next on the IPO docket with their debut on the NASDAQ in Stockholm. So there's a lot of activity, much different game. (laughs) The stakes are higher too. It's interesting. I do think that does attract younger talent as well. For sure. Yeah. Agree. Well, Kristen, good luck on your candidacy for presidency. I have no doubt that the outcome will be positive for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. And when does voting start? Voting opens on March 1st. There's a two-week period for voting. So if you're an SMR member, you have to be a member to vote. Keep an eye out for your ballot. Yep. Um, If you don't get one, you know, the week of March 1st, I would suggest reaching out to SMR. But yes, particularly uh, members need to get out and vote. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks, Dina. Appreciate it. Take care. Now more than ever, there's nothing like in-person research to deliver the voice and the views of the consumer. Face-to-Face delivers on empathy, captures nuanced body language, and creates personal connections that can be explored further. All focus group facilities are committed to safe and socially distanced protocols to keep our teams, our clients, and our participants safe. People are engaged and excited to share new emotions, new buying patterns, and new ways that they're seeing the world. Clients need this deep insight to make the best possible decisions at this critical time. We're here, we're focused, and we're ready. For in-person research, it's time to embrace the research space. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. 
Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.